0: This is Dojo Live, tech without borders, stories that bring us together.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Dojo Live. Today is Tuesday, November 24th, 2020. I'm Tulio Sergusa, broadcasting from Southern California. I'm joined today, as ever, as always, by my co-hosts, Carlos Ponce in Cuernavaca, Mexico. Hi, Carlos. Welcome back. Thank you, Tulio. And Kim Lamb.
0: Uh-oh. Did Tulio freeze for you? My name is Kim (laughs) Mantis and I'm co-hosting from Hermosillo, Sonora, Mexico. (laughs) And today, of course, we have David Reed with us, who is the CTO and CMO of Nov. Thank you so much for being here today, David.
2: It's good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome. Kick us off. Could you please tell us a bit about you? Who you are? Who is David Reed?
2: Well, um, I am uh, originally Scottish. And um, married to a Californian, Southern Californian. We met in Northern California in the 80s, which was a good time to be around there. Silicon Valley, I have a lot of friends in that space. And uh, originally was an architect. and so spent my life early on designing buildings in Scotland and in California. And uh, that kind of makes me a bit different in my space. I work in a business that's very technical, but I am much of an artist. Uh, so it's kind of a musician and a painter, and I enjoy the arts more than the average engineer. So it's kind of makes me stand out a bit in what I do. And uh, I've—that's uh,
0: great. I noticed some paintings behind you. There are they yours yeah, those or are they mine?
2: Yes, from my nice. yeah,
0: owner.
2: in Scotland. Yeah, yeah,
0: why don't we? Let's see, Ruben. Can you give us the the just David here on the screen so we can show off some of his artwork? <laughs> oh, there, there go. we go. Beautiful. And, so, and yeah. I guess that's Northern so, California. Over here. Where.
2: No, that's actually, that's Scotland in the painting on the, oh. on this side. That's an Island. There's an Island off of uh, the West coast of Scotland and it looks like it's warm because it's got but volcanic it's rock and white, white sands, but it is freezing all the time oh. and usually wet. And then on the other side is I actually started sketching on airplanes with pastels is when I learned I could uh, actually draw human beings that I didn't know I could do before. So I actually was traveling all the time. So most of my career life, I've traveled all over the world. And I would design machines all the time. And so there came a point where I thought, I need some me time. So I started uh, drawing and painting um, when I traveled. And uh, that that let off a lot of steam and photography. Then I started a gallery and kind of stayed in that world. So yeah, that's kind of my It's
0: beautiful. I love it side. that some things some things aren't always what they seem and I think those other skill sets and those other elements elements that make us us make us good at what we do. So Hmm. let's talk about what you do with NOV. Um, Who is NOV?
2: NOV is a I think I I started in Scotland actually in a repair shop for them and they make giant machines and I, um, I had grown up in an oil town and was not interested in being in the oil business particularly Um, But uh, someone met me, uh, got excited about the things I had studied and what I thought about uh, the cultures of the UK and the US. And they engaged me into the repair shop where I started making change happen. So it was was a surprise for me. I thought it was a temporary gig. Um, But they made these huge drilling machines. And then what drew me in the most was they made gigantic robots, 100 feet to 140 feet tall machines that would handle pipe. And uh, it was in his infancy, but I I certainly was drawn into that technology. And then when I got on one of these drilling vessels offshore, they're just massive and uh, fascinating. So I I had a lot of interest in the human beings in the space and what was happening and the machines that I was supposed to design um, or fit into the design of the rig, um, they just seemed wrong to me. So I started designing other machines, which was way above my pay grade, apparently. And, um, I was in Norway and started, uh, developing and finding people to manufacture and bidding for some work at which point I went for approval and got caught. Like, what are you doing <laughs> designing machines? And, um, I said, well, the machine you have is wrong. And so I designed a different machine. I found a way to price it and build it. And within a week, they moved me to Orange, California, which made my wife very happy. Um, and I started, uh, in my first few years designing drilling rigs and uh, brought a very different thinking to the, to the table and got involved in this. The company was making a few breakthrough machines at the time but started to acquire companies in the space, so highly acquisitive company. Since in my 29 years, we probably average about a company a month that we buy. So we, we play a lot in oil and gas. We started with drilling rigs. Went into the the wellbore process and services, and then we moved into completions and production, and then we also work in lots of other businesses um, in industrial roles. So we're very much a manufacturer, and uh, we we an odd thing we do is make light poles in California. So isn't that wild? We do lots of weird things all over the place, but we we work quite a bit in renewables. That's kind of our new space that we do a lot of. Uh, machinery and design. And for me, I really became the package guy. uh, Because I was a designer, I started to look at control systems. And that led into automation. And we do some of the wildest automation in the world. Uh, So we've we've really been at the forefront of that for a long time.
0: That's really exciting. I think what a career for someone who wasn't originally planning to even stick around. And here you are nearly 30 years later, and a real game changer with your company. So you Mm -hmm. mentioned automation. And I think that leads us into the chosen topic for today Carlos would you like to bring that up please
3: absolutely thank you Kim today you. we our guest chose to talk about uh, that this is the title of his conversation is pitching the augmentation game in other words uh, we're going to be speaking about using AI and integrating augmentation systems uh, which uh, consider or that to be more of a people game and as David uh, Reed has put it, Anything AI can do, you can do better. So I look forward to hearing from David what he has to say for himself about this. So David, uh, let's start with that, th- about the topic. Why did you choose this particular topic? Why did you think it was relevant for today's day and age?
2: Um, mostly because people um, people get lost in technology very easily and start you know, thinking that technology is the solution for everything, um, missing what the question is and, and the barriers that exist. So for me, I've, I've been in a very traditional business trying to get them to adopt technology. And that game I've learned over time uh, is all about people. It's about knowing people, understanding, understanding what their needs are, meeting those needs, um, and getting away from the technology language into words that are a lot more around the job to be done and how you can help someone do their job. And so even the, even the use of augmentation as a, as a word is one we've helped uh, people get into the understanding that that we don't we don't get told we're we're getting automatic uh, or AI based things when we use our phone, but but we're using AI all the time. So people don't care that it's AI. They don't care that it's automation. They just want to know the job I'm trying to do. Can you help make it better? And so, from one aspect of this is is the getting people to buy into using and adopting as well as getting you aligned with the needs of the individual. And uh, that's really the core, is, is the human being side. And for us, as we have acquired lots of different systems, uh, we have over 300 different control systems we have to integrate and make work together. So the human side of that uh, isn't about software, even though everyone argues software. It's about how do you get people to play together. So there's two sides, really, adoption in the field, as well as getting people to play together to make systems work together and for data systems to flow. So that, that's kind of my been my career story for the last 10, 15 years.
3: Yeah, and we've had a number of recent AI-related conversations with great guests, and and the common thread to a lot of these conversations are precisely what you mentioned, it's the human factor. So it's not about, uh, actually one of our guests kind of, I don't know if he coined it, but he said something like, instead of artificial intelligence, Tulio, do you remember that one, right? It's, augmented, uh, he said
2: uh, augmented, augmented,
3: augmented intelligence. That's right. It's like a, you know, so, Even, yeah, it was a great conversation. Yeah.
2: I think that we've been using augmentation a lot more so that people get the idea it's to help you do your job. You know, It's to make your job better, to make your processes work better. It is not there to take your job, um, but it will change your job. And yeah, so, nor do it for you. Right, and and there are things humans are good at. Anybody who's expert in this space knows that there's things humans are great at, and things that the computational systems are great at. And uh, as they evolve along the spectrum, people get more nervous, and they really shouldn't because we've been on this journey for years. Uh, as a Scotsman, I'm naturally connected to money. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. know if you get that as a as a general reference, but we're considered very cheap. So my town, Aberdeen, is the cheaper of the towns in Scotland. Um, so when the day that I was able to, talk, you know, deal with a wall and a machine to get my money out the wall, was the breaking of something you know pretty significant where I'm going to trust my money with a machine. And so from then on, we really were beyond um, a lot of things that we were fearing. As you started to observe, nobody was saying, I mean, ATM is an automated telling machine, teller machine, but but you trusted it and you know you may have counted it early on but but today it's it's rare that you would actually count the money coming out and uh, but it's been with us for you know all of our lives right we we've, we've had that that's kind of an early reference that that continues on um and and it just keeps evolving and i think y2k was a big moment for me around, around 2000 uh, it's when i really thought this isn't getting any better where are was nervous our machines were going to we going to fail us and we did a lot of work. We we have systems that if they don't work, you know, people die. It's like a serious you know deal with us. So we were very focused on that, and uh, that fear was really made people think we should probably back off the you know the gas on on this automation thing. And I was the opposite. I was, I was thinking, we have to keep pushing. This is this is this is where we're going. So that that caused me to do a lot of things before. They turned up when it came to data science, things we didn't have, computing systems we didn't have yet. So I tend to have this hunger uh, for more than we have today, which has kind of put me in my job, is that I'm constantly thinking of what's in the next 10 or 20 years rather than, you know, what can I do today?
1: So, David, um, clearly using AI or technology as a replacement strategy, it's not not an effective strategy, right? Uh, I always thought of this idea that imagine you're a broker, you're a senior broker at a uh, at a brokerage firm and you have all this institutional knowledge, all this experience that you've gained over many, many years. And you've got someone who comes in called junior broker who doesn't have that knowledge, but with the AI and augmented information can gain access to and act as if they were just as knowledgeable. So now I'm sure. providing expertise as a junior broker, the same, similar to what a senior broker is providing. So that even the playing field, if you will, and how you serve clients. I'm curious about how, what practices has worked for you in your company to um, bring that marriage together, if you will, between people and technology in such a way that you get the best out of AI, not this threat that Mm -hmm. some people perceive.
2: Well, it, it's all about different people and different parts of the cycle, right? So so when something is new, when you're introducing it early on, it's not gonna be perfect. And um, that's a time where, you know, most people will who are not ready for it, you know, aren't, aren't the right people to be taking it on. That's when they will tend to draw um, away from, you know, and cause barriers to entrance of uh, any of this technology. That was my wife sneezing. Just in case you wanted to know, the, um, <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> she's tested clear of COVID, so good news there. Um, the, uh, yeah, so I think that that barrier, the natural barrier, there are ways to stop that from happening. In in the introduction of technology, it's really understanding where to bring it in. Once you're past that early stage and you're starting to prove, you know, you're starting to see that, that this is consistent, it's valuable, it's here and it's useful to you that there's a follow factor that happened with human beings. So that same person who is resistant jumps on very quickly. So it's really knowing where you're bringing it in and what stage of development it's at um, because it, it is more, more valuable. And the idea of, you know, horses are great. Let's not really do this car thing. Well, that works for a while. But, but ultimately, people are going to start using cars. And they'll still be horses, but it won't be how things are. And that happens, happens in all development. And so it's really knowing. Sometimes people get caught up on there are people resistant to this. And the answer to that is know who is more open. So understanding where you're introducing technology and with who. Um, some of our early wins were all about actually letting a lot of people play with the system before you say you're in charge, you're going to use the system. And you really find the ones who are natural; they tend to be younger because gaming systems are a lot to do with trust. Um, and so, for us, a lot of our rigs are still look like Ataris, which is funny to me—still joysticks <laughs> and, and buttons.
0: I'm, I'm young enough to know what an Atari is, or old enough, go. I guess, just to play it. <laughs> young I'm enough, let's
2: call it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they're they're joystick-based controllers, which uh, which is is pretty dated at this point. Um, but it's more to do with who is the end user and how do you make them comfortable. Uh, and so we, we did find younger people, every generation that we released the next thing, the younger ones tend to pick it up faster and be more comfortable with it. But once again, I think phone technology is the thing that really changed everything because it, it, it broke that, that gaming challenge where you had to be a gamer in some way but uh, now it's more, you know, people are using it because it helps their life. And, and I, I always describe to people how frustrated I get that my email won't self-sort. And uh, I just, I've just started using a software that does that. It lists out all my commitments and everything. Everyone said that they asked me to do something. I can check, did I do those things? So, so I'm feeling better now. AI is actually helping me somewhere I really, I really want it.
0: I, I think that's just important. The idea of the creative side, you as an artist, right? I think you could probably relate to this directly. Yeah. And would you agree that that's exactly what a machine can't do when it comes to augmenting? Maybe it can take this idea and make that idea better. But does the mm-hmm. ideation, is that's what's coming from the human side? And is that's what's never going to go away?
2: I, I think so. I think it, I think it's more than that, though. Human beings have uh, have a lot of variables that are um, I would never say impossible because, you know, who knows what we're going to come up with next. But but the the understanding that the value of the human beings at this point and being, I mean, the, the machine taking control of certain things. Um, in our world, we deal with, we're, we're inner space people. So we actually work with NASA quite a bit because they're the outer space people. But we both deal with the same problem. Like we're distant and blind to everything we're doing. So we're inside the earth using computers for miles. We're going miles in, sometimes offshore from land, which as it happens in California. So you you guys are actually, whether you know it or not, drilling, you know, way uh, miles away from the structures that you, the last structures you built a long time ago, offshore California. But, uh, but that ability is, now we're, we're talking about computing systems, dealing with that and communicating with that. And the, what happens is there are things we can't do. So in our space, It gets interesting because they're the the reading of things, but that creativity of knowing our variables are really, really high in our space. I mean, I just drilled a well for us to, we're looking at geothermal and, and we were drilling through and we had this plan and you have what you think the earth looks like underneath you and it doesn't, and it surprised us and that happens to us every day. And it's something we've had to learn to manage. We can read the signals uh, but that knowledge is there's 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 a complexity of of understanding reactions that that today is still a distance away. but yeah, creativity, um the the elements of humanity that are that are key. I think everyone has a bit of that uh, to add. And so when you get when you get humans you know taking away mundane and and adding uh, their strengths and their their creativity, I think it's a I think it's a great journey for people to go on. And, and learning learning really what people can do and the the soft skills that that so far yeah we're not we're not seeing that in an ai space
1: it's interesting you mentioned uh, drilling into the core of the earth and getting different metr- uh, measurements and readings and learning new things I'm assuming that in some cases what's being learned or the assumptions that were made were incorrect
2: yeah yeah Well, I mean extremely complex complex equations and, and we model it and so what our what our AI systems do is we will actually build earth models this is one of the things NASA wants to learn for other planets they're working on living on other planets we do work with SpaceX as well and they're all very interested in habitation you know on other places. So our ability to, because we, we, we get to deal with the most complex models that we build of what we think the earth is going to do because it's constant layers that surprise us all the time. Very unknown. So we're very exploratory. And so as it find what we do is the models actually adjust. So that's a lot of the AI is, okay, I'm seeing this, that's what this means. And if, if we're doing multiple wells in a place it can start telling a rig nearby, hey, this is what you're going to see, this is what this looks like. So it starts communicating amongst itself. I mean, the way we drill now as it does something, if we'll, like, if you can imagine miles of a piece of pipe being twisted, (laughs) it can get stuck and have very violent turns that happen. And and that's a condition that usually now it can see it itself, send a signal immediately up and change the machines until it takes that dysfunction out of the pipe. And so it's this very uh, tight closed loop that we need to be able to actually not get stuck because we have a good few million dollars worth of equipment down there that are full of computers and sensors. And yeah, so we're we're always kind of pushing the boundary of what's possible in in this kind of remote computing world. So yeah, it was fascinating stuff.
1: It's it's interesting guys. Remember we've spoken to a few guests about uh, ethics around AI and being cautious to not Mm -hmm. let history uh, automate itself moving forward, specifically when it comes to behavioral information towards consumers that could be skewed in, uh, in, in ways that, 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 does necessarily that has a lot of bias. So I'm. Mm-hmm. So I, it's encouraging to hear that you know we're literally poking at the earth, right? And mm-hmm. we're, we're we're learning uh, whether the assumptions we've made over I don't know the past few hundred years are correct because you can't create a new future without first knowing the accurate the accuracy of the past. Mm-hmm. You know, where does does this create any dilemma at times in terms of you know scientists that perhaps had a theory or hypotheses for something and they, you know, stuck the flag in the ground and saying this is what it is. I've researched this for 30 years. And suddenly, you know, some AI software system says, sorry, you were wrong. You know, how does that, how do you guys deal with that?
2: <laughs> there's a, AI hasn't got there yet with us. Cause it, I mean, we're still, our surprise level is high. Um, we, we, um, We've seen. I mean, there's some things that have developed as theories, and you can, you can kind of read books on it. There's a few out there theories. One is that the regeneration of the Earth, that uh, that it produces hydrocarbons on its own. So, we've gone back to places and found more hydrocarbons later, and that's a that's just one of those wild theories that where we could be wrong. So, generally not accepted, but but it has happened where we've you know we've we found that inside the Earth, understanding what's there, we have we have great. Fixed theory on the science of the Earth, how it developed, and what we're doing, and what we're seeing, and and fossils generally are confirming some of that. Uh, but at the same time, there are behaviors we we don't understand. So it gets it can be interesting. Um, so far, AI is not not reading that yet. Uh, mostly, it's just doing physics models. So it's dealing within in the sciences of what we drill through and what the behavior is. And so most of it's in that space. It all it all ties around where the money is. It's it's less about understanding the earth more, you know, how can we do this most efficiently and get the most out of what we drill?
1: Yeah. I guess that brings us back to the idea of, of people, right? I mean, it's people's uh, curiosity that is going to cause to ask the right questions that would then leverage the technology to get to the right answers. I think Kim had some question around people as well as a follow-up. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm just thinking it it was interesting trying to make this connection with, you know, the earth's behavior, what's going on there and connecting that to human behavior and talking Mm -hmm. about the future. I'm interested in what's happening in NOV. Um, Forgive me if I'm bringing up a controversial issue here, but drilling, right? We're talking Mm -hmm. about natural resources that are finite. They will end. And I'm, Mm -hmm. and I know that coming out of, you know, the, the elections and the industry in which you're in it's a touchy subject and having to go toward perhaps alternative energy sources which i believe you brought up earlier in today's conversation so how what are you doing as a company to help with this people behavior to create a sense of you know security and community and culture but also as you move into this unknown is what's going to happen as we're moving it could be something in the near future of a political scope or what's going to happen in 10 to x amount of time when you know, oil is not readily available, or how are we using technology in this augmented intelligence to help monitor our people, to keep your company culture, and to move toward that future, whatever that future might be?
2: Gosh, that's a, that's a complex web of thoughts.
3: Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the one, I mean, one subject in, in where oil goes and how, uh, I mean, as an industry, we're energy providers. Um, we, none of us, the, what the way we get painted uh, is part of having a bunch of engineers who think it's obvious you know so we obviously get painted bad in in the press and we don't actually try and fight that you know we we kind of understand it um, but at the same time we're we're probably the ones who will actually solve a lot of the other energy issues for a long time we've been the ones spending the money we don't talk about it unless it's a good business you know outcome but i mean we if you look at how we install offshore wind we're, we we build and design about 80% of all the offshore wind systems uh, that are out there because it's the same thing we use to to set up rigs. You know, it's actually drilling rig type structures that we use. Um, we play in all of those spaces. We have a lot that we do um, inside of the energy kind of transition and, and you'll find inside of oil and gas, that's probably where the most work is going on to solve problems because a lot of the government-led programs um, have not had uh, – the business focus that we've had, and so they're they're looking for help uh, to try and improve the outcome. So we we play in a lot of different spaces, and and have for quite some time, uh, because the systems are very similar across all the different solutions, and there's still room for new invention there. Um, the 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 human thing is uh, we generally have, of course, Europe is more advanced uh, in energy transition, and so the the level of energy and interest. In solving problems over there amongst our people is very high, as well as the companies. Uh, a lot of the companies who are the the prime renewable companies are were either formerly oil and gas companies or still are, and have changed their name and they're they're doing most of the work. So we're very close with them. So Europe's been really good for our people, and it's more how do we um, how do we look at uh, you know that as it evolves when it comes to AI, the potential uh, for us to understand. Uh, the efficiencies that can come in in the master systems, looking at energy need um, and transition and what things, you know, as well as the performance of existing systems. We're looking at net zero um, performance of the facilities. You know, how can we still get the hydrocarbons we need, but do it without causing damage to the environment? And then when we use them, how can we use them in a way that, you know, actually is doing less damage? So all of that is going on in our space. Um, The kind of things that we Got gotten in, in trouble for things that, that we weren't paying attention to, like methane coming out of the US. Um, well, the the, solve, the solving of that is use the methane with a, with a lower carbon footprint and don't just release it to the air. So even carbon sequestration uh, is the same system we already use in, in separating of, uh, of hydrocarbons. So actually gathering carbon and then putting it back into the structures we got it from is something we already were doing uh, why we were doing it was not to get carbon out of the air. It was actually a, a great way of uh, moving hydrocarbons inside a structure in the earth. But we have all these places we've taken carbon out of that we can actually put it back in. So we're we're in the process of solving all of that. But we do have uh, AI systems that can look at the human behavior and energy needs. I mean, one of the challenges we have, is, as all of us have, is most of the energy transition themes and renewables can't carry the load for humanity. Um, so we're not solving it in a big way without, you know, covering the world with windmills or covering us, you know, with solar panels. And, and it, it doesn't kind of add up. So we're trying to help with that. Is there, are there other ways, you know? So there's a lot. We, we love geothermal as a as a business because it's drilling and we understand it. We have lots of geologists. Um, but, but just looking at the needs and trends, there's a lot that AI um, can do. There's a fantastic article I just read on it. But uh, it doesn't sit in the work that we do, but it is looking at the, the oil companies and how they look at energy and managing energy and then managing uses. And we're also looking at ways to measure um, any kind of uh, pollution that's happening. But for us, we always believe there will be a transition, not because we run out of oil. I don't think that's, we've got hundreds of years from what we've learned and found before we would actually run out of it. But we always say, you know, we didn't we didn't leave the stone age because we ran out of stones. We just need a better idea you know, the oil and oil, it pollutes. And we fundamentally understand that right. there's there's, a, there's a downside. So can we do it better? So we're pretty focused on that.
0: I love that. I had never heard the, the didn't leave the stone age because we ran on stones. I love that. I think it makes a good point. And I think this perception of this, not necessarily the end, but the beginning, right, of something, sure. something else. For us,
2: we're, we're very proud of what oil and gas has done for the planet. You know, the energy, people having more access to energy has been really good. We just have to do it in a way that, that doesn't destroy the planet. So we're, we're, yeah. we're very focused on that. But we, we love the idea of transitioning to be the next energy providers. That's right up our street.
1: Here's the thought: Maybe we don't need 24/7 lights on. Who knows? What a concept! No?
2: Well, a COVID, concept. COVID is is teaching us a bit, right?
1: <laughs> Maybe we don't need all this energy. Yeah, COVID oh, is
2: no me that I, I do,
0: in fact, need
2: 24/7. Well, I California, mean, you've been testing it. I know. mean, you
1: know, I, I look at cultures like the Amish; they kind of kind of figured it out a long time ago. They don't have the There's same energy there. as we do. So, I think yeah. if
2: you if you look at Europe, they're a lot more efficient with their fuels, and and I think that's a, it's a good model for us. Where we've definitely been excessive inside of the US and how we, you know, it's become very self focused culture. And so there's room for room for change there and improvement.
1: We're we're up on time. David, it's been great to have you with us. Uh great to hear about these technology. I love the idea that potentially we could develop the kind of technology where we could give back to the earth yeah. what we've taken from it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Anything is possible, right? I mean, uh, we'll see how things evolve. I think that's the beauty of technology and people converging together. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. Stay with us as we wrap up. Carlos, what do we got coming up? We have two shows tomorrow, right?
3: Two shows, Julio. The first one is uh, Journey from Software to... Okay, this is a lengthy name. <laughs> Journey from Software to Shoes driven by passion with twists and turns along the way." And I quote, okay? <laughs> so that is gonna be with Nimesh Purbandarwala, Senior Director of Marketing and Strategy. at What is the company, Tulio? Uh, I think it's AdWorks. AdWorks, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not there in the, on, the, on the site. And the other one, at, it's on the same day, but at 1 p.m. Pacific, this is gonna be about mobility-based media. Capturing Audiences on the Go. And this will be with Fermin Fermín Morales and Bo Sijuade, the CEO and COO, respectively, of Oyster.com. So that's what we have for tomorrow right here on Dojo Live. So it's going to be 10 a.m. P- and 1 uh, p.m.
1: Pacific. Thanks, everyone. See you again soon. See you soon.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.